Welcome to another episode of Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room. I'm your host, Josh Pappas. We've returned for part two of our RPM March Madness special. Action-packed episode, lots of laughs, lots of knowledge. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. We have a dynamite group of RPM experts. I'm so excited to introduce the listeners to them. So I'll start with you, Robin. Thank you for joining the podcast. And uh, why don't you tell everybody about you? Sure. Hi. Thank you, Josh. My name is Robin Henry. I serve as Chief Population Health Officer for Salvera Health outside of Central Illinois. We have three locations, Peoria, Galesburg, and Carbondale. We really focus on what the comprehensive primary care model looks like, uh, the all under one roof, making it motivational, impactful, meaningful for the patients that we serve. Uh, we do provide the you know chronic care management that remote- <laughs> the remote patient monitoring, as well as, you know, the transitional care management of those that we serve. Uh, We have a huge, you know, triad of population. It's not only our Medicare beneficiaries, but we have our commercial, we have our, uh, our Medicaid, you know, we have our uh, private and our self-pay. And a lot of what we do is we make this expectation into our care delivery system, what that norm is. So it is, it's it's pretty impact. It's, It's an amazing opportunity to work here. Yeah, and Robin and I have crossed paths on the RPM journey, so welcome. Oh, um, cool. I'll pass it over to you, Seth. <laughs> uh, yeah, hi, I'm Seth Merritt. I am the co-founder and CEO of WellBe Health, and WellBe Health basically tries to provide care management programs for primary care physicians. Uh, I spent my career on the payer side doing a lot of things with value-based care and building ACO products and things like that, and came to some realization at some point that no one was really actually providing very many resources to independent physicians in the market. They're very underserved, very underpaid, and asking primary care to manage people who have complex chronic health issues is just not really a fair assumption. And if you think that's going to happen, good luck. So I started this journey trying to figure out a way, how can we deploy more resources to primary care in a way that doesn't cost them a lot of money? and actually gets patients better access to service. So RPM was just one component of that where you can generate some revenue, support, oversight for the patients. And then as, you know, Medicare has evolved and understanding how primary care actually works, uh, you know, our focus is really getting access to reimbursable services for those primary care physicians to give them an incentive to move into more value-based care programs, because if you're asking them to just jump in day one, they're not going to do it. So we see ourselves as sort of a bridge to build that infrastructure for, you know, primary care to get into those kinds of programs and, you know, seeing a lot of success both in, you know, the oversight, the patient engagement, the financial model, the impact for the clinician. So it's been exciting to, you know, kind of join the RPM uh, club. Yeah, exactly. And we're looking forward to digging into some of those topics that you mentioned. So welcome, Seth. Um, I'll pass it over to you, Rachel. Hi, I'm uh, Rachel Trobman. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Upside Health. And uh, similarly to Seth, um, we identified that in the space of pain, uh, really clinicians are often under-trained, under-compensated, and don't have time to deliver some of the most uh, meaningful components of chronic pain care. And so we utilize the best of RPM and RTM together with um, uh, resources, integrated care delivery models to make uh, and transform the way that chronic pain is assessed and treated. 
So our product branch health is delivered uh, into pain specialists or primary care or any other specialists with heavy populations of pain patients and really have seen dramatic results from both the outcomes um, and value driving uh, components of care. Thank you. For yeah, and welcome, me. and yeah, and welcome, welcome, Rachel. And uh, you know, side note, Rachel, Rachel uh, and I connected, you know, before I was cool, and um, in, in you know, in, in software sales and digital health sales. So, um, come full circle, um, to be able to yeah. have a conversation with her today on RPM and how much you know that's. I, I think changed, I may have so. first, first, I first think may have educated you on the terms of RPM and RTM many a year ago. Yeah. So uh, she started, she started me, me down this path. Yeah, <laughs> down I'm this to blame. path. Yeah. So, and finally, Sid, uh, welcome. Thanks, Josh. Um, hey, everyone. I'm Sid Cannon, CEO of Stell. And our mission is to simplify connectivity for patients, care teams, and device companies. Uh, so as care teams boldly evolve the standard of care to the home, we want to make sure that patients without smartphones, Wi-Fi, or tech literacy aren't left behind in this new standard of care. So we made an operating system to passively connect to medical devices and send data over cellular or passive Wi-Fi right to the EHR or the care records. Uh, without taking PHI, we're just a connectivity layer. Uh, we're super grateful to be in about a dozen health systems across tens of thousands of patients across the world and uh, excited to celebrate our customers overcoming pilot ideas and creating scalable programs. Thanks for having us, Josh. Yeah, we could do a whole 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 other podcast on 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 the pilot, but uh, no welcome, Sid. So I'm um, excited to have everybody. Um, you know, format we're gonna you know first dig into, and I'll pass it to you, Robin. Um, I think one of the key areas uh, that we did on part one is really start with on a high note and focus on all the impact RPM has had uh, both on the patient and clinician. So take it whichever way. And um, I'll start with you, Robin, on the patient impact. No, thank you. And there is so many ways that you, that we can really, you know, crosswalk into the patient impact. I mean, work that, you know, I enveloped you into prior had to do with the pandemic health uh, emergency, what it looks like to, you know, discharge these patients out of the ED system, which is a huge one out of central Illinois, bringing them home with, you know, a tablet, with the peripherals, with the modules, and, you know, what that looked like. And it, it was able to really bring that space replicated in Illinois, especially with the community health pathway is. That wasn't a thing, you know, before COVID. And so now knowing that you can have grant access to bring these um, accessible devices and get these people home to not over compress the ER and over compress the acute beds, smile, <laughs> um, bringing that into action was, was very uh, gratifying. And now it allows me in this space that I'm at now from an in-home medical group perspective to the outpatient clinic, it's the adherence it is the outcomes. It is seeing what these patients allow themselves to empower by having the support stream that maybe they didn't have 10 years ago. It's making it easy for um, the patients. I mean, because it is at 70, 80, even 90 year old persons that doesn't necessarily know what a Bluetooth is. You have to make it accessible. You have to make it iCloud capable. Um, you have to make it where it's celebratory. Hi, watch your blood pressure trends. Here it is. You did this. Or your weight, you know, with congestive heart failure, you're not gaining that water weight. You know, you're able to kind of lose that. And you, they, and I think seeing it is what reaps the reward. 
and really engages our our persons, our guests, especially as we're going into this consumer-driven healthcare space, it is no longer, you're just a patient. You're not just a number anymore. You are not just this guy with congestive heart failure. You're Bill. Bill wants to tell you about his day and it's making these meaningful conversations. It is, it's all about what our next pivot is into value. And RPM is going to have a huge, yeah, 100%. it's going to have a huge space in that because we're in this whole culture of convenience. Look what the PhD did to us. We can have my, I'm on my couch. Why do I have to come into the clinic space? We're fine. I can tell you all about this. I'm going to do an e-visit. It's, it's become the new norm. Again, thank you, COVID, for inventing the new normal. But it makes it where we're no longer just this number, this person. Like I said, we are ourselves. Um, we're generational now. We have this access. We have the capability to be internet savvy, Bluetooth savvy. And having these wearables, think about it. Who, who, is, who is the iPhone, the iWatch the on? I've got mine. Who had the Fitbit? We've already done this. We've already embraced this space. Now you have your iPhone, your iWatch with EKG with fall modalities. What your increased risk for falls, how your sleep schedule is, is going to make you adherent for the day. Did you take your medication today? It's all there, and so it just it's, it's ease of access, I believe. And I think we're, I think we yeah we're just at the beginning stages. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And Seth, I'm interested in um, your perspective on uh, working with some of the independent docs and um, you know on this topic. Yeah, I could probably take it two ways. I mean, one from a physician perspective, it's sort of interesting to engage with them because when you talk to physician practices about value-based care and what it means, their initial response is like, I'm too small. I don't know how to do that. I don't have, I don't have the infrastructure. I'm not spending all of that money. And that's like 50% of the primary care population. So most of the primary care is affiliated with a large health system, mainly to like refer into their system. But there's still half of the PCPs in the country are independent. So if you think of half of your population of physicians are not even thinking about accessing value-based care. I don't know how you're going to solve it. And what we try to propose to them is this is a low-touch program, and you're going to get a lot of clinical benefits out of it. So whether that's starting with your hypertension patients and trying to get them under better control or starting with your diabetes patients, there's a bunch of things that are going on outside the clinic that these physicians are, you know, either afraid of getting into or don't think they have the resources to be able to do that. And to be able to offer them tools in a way that, you know, lets them do that is pretty amazing. So I would say 90 plus percent of our physicians that we <clears throat> enroll in our programs probably don't believe that it's actually going to work. They're willing to give us a try, but they don't, they're not convinced they're actually going to generate any revenue out of it, that their patients are going to hate it, that it's going to be a lot of additional work. And once they actually turn it on and see like, Hey, you guys can handle some billing things and the feedback I'm getting from my patients is great. And then once you start looking at, I'm actually seeing a lot more data on my patients and you're helping intervene on them. It's pretty impactful. And, you know, not only that, you can start showing some of the providers what they're actually doing in terms of quality metrics. And, okay, I know you're not in your P4P programs where you're going to get bonuses on HEDIS, but I'll show you where your HEDIS programs are. So then, six months, 12 months, 18 months in, they can start thinking about actually, you know, moving upstream with the program. So I see it as sort of a bridge. And then even from a technical perspective, Robin, like you're saying about the wearables, I mean, we're at the infancy of what you're able to collect from a patient. I mean, you know, if you can strap on an Apple Watch and constantly monitor blood pressure, blood glucose, you know, things that are coming down the pike of actually monitoring them, 
just imagine what you can get where the patients don't even have to strap on the blood pressure machine and you can actually see it trigger alerts, like engage with the clinician when something needs to happen. And we're helping, you know, those primary care physicians be, be ready to do that in a sort of device agnostic way. So it's really cool from a physician perspective, giving them tools to enable this. And then from a patient view, uh, I don't think patients even understand how little information the providers have on them. You know, you're going into a provider every six or 12 months. You got 12 minutes with them. Eight of it is spent like documenting everything in the EMR. They're overworked and overwhelmed. So I'm going to take your blood pressure sitting here. Maybe you just took your meds and you're fine. I have no idea what happens like every day when you're out there. Um, or maybe you just didn't take your meds and maybe you're stressed out and, you know, maybe your blood pressure is super high and I'm going to make a medication decision on that single data point is sort of crazy. But if you can say, I'm going to actually monitor you for the whole month, what does this actually look like with your blood pressure? And then start doing things clinically that, you know, the physicians can then respond to is pretty interesting. And just getting patients to actually start measuring their things, be engaged, understand if things are high or low or what's happening, that gives them an incentive to actually want to engage. I mean, I think most patients are sort of afraid to ask physicians and clinicians what's actually going on with them, which is why they let things sort of accelerate and exacerbate because they don't know what to ask them. So giving them more touch points and tools to actually understand what's happening has been really interesting. So it's been exciting to kind of bring new value into the healthcare system. I've always thought that we totally underutilize tools and technology and, um, you know, run this as a very backwards business on some level. I mean, we're not really taking advantage of a lot of things. So some of the new codes and things like that that are are coming out and available now really help, I think, accelerate some of these things that provide additional tools and better access to care for patients. So I'm excited to see just where things evolve, knowing that we're not going to ever, you know, immediately shift everyone into like value-based, risk-based deals. But I think the you know, continual moving down that path will be will be interesting. And I think we'll get there. It's just, I think some of these things are, are incremental steps. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And Rachel, I know that you and the team have uh, kind of been working on this, you know, particularly for for some of the patients who, um, who kind of, you know, sometimes can, can suffer the most in the system. Yeah, I mean, our, our patient population is amongst the most like high touch, high system utilizers. Um, they're also some of the highest risk to the um to both the providers and the patients are on high levels of morphine equivalency. Um, they're often, um, they feel dejected and kind of separated from the healthcare system at the same time. Um, and this is compounded when you're dealing with something that's super subjective traditionally, right? Pain assessments. Um, and so, you know, being able to validate the patient's pain experience by providing like incremental touch points, uh, just kind of like Robin and Sat said, you know, have incre- has incredible value. Uh, what we see a lot of is just is humanizing healthcare, is scaling compassion. You know, these patients, you know, have really felt separated from um, their providers in many ways. And uh, yes, they have pain, but as you know, as Seth was talking about, you know. They also have many other comorbidities. And so, you know, they might not be taking their blood pressure medication or their diabetes medication because their pain is so all consuming. And so when we look at things uh, or pain as a symptom or something separate, a lot of times we're missing how we can support these patients overall. Um, And similarly, I mean, our providers are seeing, you know, 50 patients a day at 15 minute increments. 
I mean, it's no surprise that adding more touch points, more insights, and more robust care is going to yield significant outcome improvements. And we've been able to see reductions in ER visits. We've been able to see uh, reductions in morphine equivalency. We've been able to um, intervene ahead of like potentially dangerous procedures. Um, And all of that, similarly to, again, like echoing what Seth said, you know, there's a lot of doubt or suspicion, especially when you're working with physician groups as to how this aligns with their incentives. But when they start seeing these like increases in clinical efficiency, increases in patient satisfaction, increases in outcome metrics that it can allow for them to negotiate better rates with insurance, there is that secondary, um, that secondary mechanism. And so I think value obviously is means different things for different stakeholders, um, patients, providers, payers, um, but they all, it all gets down to how can we, well, for us is how can we better support these different parties and recognize their different, sometimes maybe misaligned incentives, but um, utilize the same product or system that we believe so heavily in and let it kind of speak for itself. Yeah, agreed. And and over over to you, Sid. And I know sometimes you guys go kind of you know directly uh, with with your solutions to the patients to the clinicians. So I'm interested in uh, kind of where you've seen some of those those biggest impacts. Yeah, I, I think I'm just echoing what everyone else said. Uh, we really believe it's about bridging the trust between care teams and and patients. And so part of that is abstracting the technology away. Uh, the more we make this an AirPods-esque feeling where you don't have to worry about the tech stack and what Bluetooth is and what Wi-Fi is and the tech literacy components of it, where patients can just plug in a black box, uh, set it and forget it, and just take their vitals measurements and then trust that their care teams are going to intervene when necessary. Um, we've seen that's the best way to, to trigger outcomes and have a number of partner use cases for that. Um, it's pretty cool also seeing that patients have 90% compliance rates when they get the why behind it. And it's also even cooler to see health systems adopting this new standard within a couple of weeks instead of like months of project planning um, and uh, our, uh, like our, I guess, rigorous flows. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. I mean, n- nothing speaks to the frustration of Bluetooth is the amount of times in this home office that we're sitting in here recording now that I haven't been able to connect my AirPods and I've wanted to throw them and possibly have thrown them across the room, right? So can't even imagine how, you know, something as small as that could derail an RPM program. Um, well, good. So, so you know, we're going to run through a couple of questions. Um, so I'll start with you, Sid. Uh, you know, we alluded to it a little bit and uh, kind of the the last segment, but you know, really want to get you know, tactical on some specific examples where, um, you know, how can RPM improve patient outcomes or reduce healthcare costs? Um, so I'll pass that over to you, uh, Sid, to start, and then, then we'll go around. Yeah, I mean, mainly props to our health system customers who've uh, reduced the readmission rates by by adopting these uh, care at home programs. They've dropped thirty day all cause readmissions by fifty percent. They've saved a lot of money on the pay for value contracts. They've generated a lot of money on the fee for service contracts. I think the parts that we are most excited about helping them achieve in terms of patient outcomes is 90% compliance rates uh, to take their vitals and care about the why behind it. Uh, Post-graduation of RPM programs, they continue to take their measurements and they've seen a number of these frequent flyers uh, that are constantly readmitted, stay compliant and avoid unnecessary readmissions. Um, we've done studies with other systems talking about the automating of results from PTI and R machines and new devices that are hitting the market, uh, reducing transcription errors and workforce burden 
uh, triggering medication managements uh, that need to happen as well. Um, some systems have even gotten enrollment upon discharge down to the hour. And I found that if you enroll patients below, under 48 hours, uh, you'll you'll have in, uh, improved results across the continuum um, and have increased length, improved length of stay, reduced hospital days and save monies from that. Uh, I think uh, the cool thing that we've been able to do in our role is align our incentives uh, to better offer value to the customers. So for us being a platform and just a connectivity layer service across the continuum, uh, we don't mark up margins on the devices. So health systems can save hundreds of thousands of dollars by getting uh, devices for their various needs that better, best match their patient populations. By designing out PHI of our solution, uh, systems can adopt our solution within a couple of weeks and don't have to worry about PHI risks or overly burdensome flows. And uh, the time to launch and scale a new program doesn't need an IT staff and a whole compliance review anymore. It just requires an engaged physician and clinician. So I think all of those, uh, we've published the cost on our websites, but we're really proud and, and excited to partner with some visionary academic medical centers and rolling out these new programs. Yeah, and it's been really cool to see the partnerships kind of, you know, play out and um, and, and, and at a prior role. So uh, kudos to you uh, and, and the entire Stell team. So over to you, Rachel. Um, I know that, um, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, sometimes you alluded to the, the highest potential cost type patients that you guys work with. So interested on how um, you guys have been doing some work in, in that space. Yeah, so I, I think um, a little bit separately from from Sid, like the some of the magic on our platform really happens to the patient buy-in because by them um, becoming part of the program, they're uh, taking ownership and control over components of their health that have often been really desperate or that they've been relying on other people to help them manage, um, where a lot of using the self-management tools that are part of our program become integral in the success of the patient experience. Um, I think what we've been what we've been able to see, I kind of alluded to it before, you know, the reduction in ER visits, the reduction in morphine equivalency, uh, high levels of morphine equivalency are tied to extraordinary downstream healthcare costs. Um, but but also, you know, we've been able to show a statistically significant reduction in pain score um, and control over their pain. And so when patients feel like they're in more control over their pain, they're less scared. Right. Fear drives a lot of visit to the the ER or, you know, or screenings or procedures. Um, and so having the patients ha feel like there is the support that's necessary, that they're less isolated and alone um, has yielded, you know, incredible results, as well as, you know, the, the, the enormous tie between pain conditions and behavioral health conditions. And so being able to being able to support the patient's behavioral health needs all through the same program. So when patients are using branch health or clinicians are you know, installing branch health in their program, they're not installing 12 different solutions for this population. They're installing branch health, which covers all of the things that we've mentioned. Um, and so it allows them to create efficiencies in their workflows, sure, and envision like their tech uh, vendors, but also uh, streamlines their results. Yeah, fantastic. And, and then over to you, Seth, I know that you guys, you know, are kind of, you know, focused and you, and you have um, a lot of work with the PCPs and then you kind of you know, work collaboratively. So I'm interested on how you guys have seen some of those patient outcomes. Yeah, I mean, like cost wise, it's almost a no brainer, obviously, if you avoid ER visits and hospitalizations, that's going to save a ton of money. RPM doesn't reimburse like huge amounts of money. So just, you know, one out of 100 is totally worth it. 
Um, a couple things we've seen is, you know, one RPM and CCM is really more of a mechanism to get paid to engage with the patients. So it's one thing if I'm just monitoring a patient's vitals and it's I'm sitting back here and nobody's engaging with them, probably not going to see a ton of engagement. But if that is SC spikes in your blood pressure, I'm going to call this patient and figure out what's going on. And then I realize like, hey, you can't afford your medication or like, you know, I'm not getting access to food or I've got other stuff at home. You know, those are things where our clinicians can actually engage with them and understand what's actually happening that you're probably never going to uncover, you know, sitting in a PCP's office. And unfortunately, if people aren't at risk, they don't do those things. So we we're pretty focused in like Medicare fee for service where they don't have care management programs. And even if you're in a commercial plan or an MA plan, you know, those groups are typically focused on the top two to 5% high risk, high cost patients. So there's this whole bucket of rising risk patients that are going to end up in those buckets if you don't engage with them. So for us, it's sort of a tool, um, you know, that gives us a reason to engage with those patients that we know are kind of the, de- de- um, I can't even think of the word getting worse, uh, that we want to engage with before they get to that point. And then the other piece is, you know, it's the technology, right? We're capturing all this information on patients and you can build custom, you know, engagement protocols with those patients that don't cost any money. So if I can automate outreaches to patients, if I can use AI chat to be able to engage with them and get a little bit more information about why their blood pressure is high, I can do all that stuff for free and then triage that to a person where they need to, you know, engage. If you physically have to come into the office, see a physician, you know, just to be able to get that reading, that all costs money. So I think it's just a matter of getting involved with the patients earlier and touching them is a way that we really see the benefit. And then having all that data feed into a centralized platform lets you build a lot of automation tools that can triage some of that stuff and try to catch things before it's an issue. To your point, Rachel, I mean, fear, if patients are taking their blood pressure and it's really high, if they just think it's high, they may run to the ER. But if it's like, hey, I'm going to check this again, let me recheck it, let me connect in with my nurse and, you know, triage it, that's a ER avoidance very easily that's going to be, you know, take burden off the system for the ER, take the cost away, make the patient feel like they're better. And we've seen cases where patients typically just like reach out to our team before they even reach out to their doctor because they've built that connectivity with with them. So there's a bunch of stuff, I think, in terms of improved outcomes and cost, both in the near term and in the long term, um, you know, and, and all of it seems to be facilitated by some of this, you know, mechanism to be able to collect some payment for additional work. If you don't pay anybody, no one's going to do anything. But, you know, we don't have to pay people to end up in a hospital bed just to, like, facilitate the, you know, expenses. Yeah, agreed. And, and Robin, I know you've had kind of on the front lines work with both the clinicians and the patients. So uh, over over to you to round us out. That's a lot to unpack right now, Josh. So I think, especially with my background and my work, I'm a nurse, first and foremost. That's my first language. I can't sell a product but I can persuade, I can guide. It's not a violation of COP, right? I can really bring this forth, um, telling these patients, telling these providers, getting this buy-in of what this looks like to them. Um, again, you know, to every, all three of you, you, you all spoke on it hundred percent. What it is on that next page, getting that adherence. Hi, again, back to Bill. Bill, you did this. Look at, look at your metrics now. This is, you're a huge part of it. In healthcare right now, we're getting smarter every day. We are allowing our patients, our people, served guests, whatever we want to call them in this consumer-based world, 
to live longer every day and sustain these chronic illnesses, Rachel, pain, right? The morphine equivalent, my clinic especially, we do a lot when it comes to um, addiction recovery. We have a lot of Suboxone. You know, we have a lot of, you know, these titrated meds off of these heavy opiates. And I'm so grateful we are because, again, we're back into an opiate crisis. And so being able to, you know, manage this from a from a third wheel, is it is huge. So being able to capture what that adherence is and engaging these patients, regardless if it is a Medicare beneficiary, because we know we're going to get the reimbursement, right? I mean, it might be a little bit, but it's a lot of it in my world because that ROI comes back to the healthcare utilization. It's that triple aim. We've decreased that overall cost of healthcare. We've deferred from the ED because again, it's not a heart attack. It's not a stroke. It's not a trauma. We can do this in a virtual space. We can have that connectivity because we white boxed it. Here's your Bluetooth. It's going right to the cloud. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, you don't have to do anything. It is such a different age to where it was now. And you're able to do it in so many spaces. It doesn't just have to be a person at home. It can be a person in a custodial care, long-term care. It can be a SNF, it can be an assisted living, an IL, a CCRC, all of that. We didn't used to be able to do this five years ago. I think we envisioned it but we were so tucked into what the brick and mortar looked like that we didn't know how to escape it. And this pandemic did this, you know, so we were able to explore, you know, we don't just have to go to the hospital. We can do this from home. We have a button. Here's how we call. We have an app. Here's how we call. Um, you know, and I've worked a lot of different platforms from RevR up, you know, up to diocese. You know, I've worked with a lot, when it, even to the ADT pieces of it. We have to learn, we have to embrace, we have to identify how RPM will increase our outcomes and it will decrease cost. That's how you're going to get the buy-in. I mean, Josh, this morning to Ashley, right, with her and her firm, she spoke volumes to me about, you know, what MedPAC is speaking to of, oh, this might be a just kidding. (laughs) We are not in the space for this to be a just kidding. This cannot be a just kidding. This has to stay. You have people in their home. Aging in place is a complete thing right now. And we're providing the tools to allow them to do that. We are providing the peripherals. We're providing what, you know, whatever module it is, it's here for them. In our space and in my clinic, especially, we're making a norm, regardless what your payer is. This is what we're going to do. These are our touch points. That's going to pivot into what your medical decision making is. You know, when you have your 99 codes, bring in that NP, PA, provider, bring them in 10 minutes out of that 60 minute phone call, get them into that medical decision making. They need to hear it. That's a part of the whole care plan. They need to know what's going on with their patients. And that's, I think, part of what your outcomes are with RPM. Josh, back to your question. It's coming back into these platforms. We have to embrace what the EHR is. I don't like yep, I couldn't agree more. Myself, I do not like having one platform for RPM who does not integrate to my EMR. It's Yeah, and, and getting to that the second oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, couldn't couldn't agree more. And that's a perfect segue into um, you know, kind of in your experience, and we'll start with you, Robin. Um, you know, what are some of the different devices, wearables, or maybe even, you know, non-devices wearables, kind of technology that that you've seen and you've personally got your hands on to deliver high quality RPM. Oh, 100%. Thank you. Do you realize how much it costs? So you contract with a platform, you contract with a vendor. It's a package deal. For example, 
for me to deploy in my clinic space a finger stick blood sugar, the whole kit for, by the way, one month is $110. One blood pressure cuff is $110. One scale is $110. But I can only reuse the scale and the BP cuff. It's like a recycle, reuse era. It's, it hasn't been so much we invite our patients to just reuse it because they are meeting the chronic care conditions to support RPM. So hang on to it. You might need it again. But it is $110 per module. They break. They become ineffective. Your diabetic finger stick kits, you might get 50 strips. Sorry, I'm a diabetic. I'm not. But say I am. I might not like how much I've pushed my blood out of my finger, so I'm going to need another finger strip. But I don't have the, the means to afford it. So I have to wait for the white box to come in. It becomes cumbersome on who's the clinic space, right? Who's purchasing it for our patients. Because again, we are seeing the ROI. We are seeing the adherence. We are seeing the value behind it. But going back to cumbersome, we have to go to said platform to then integrate it by you know, double documenting these reports and these notes into my EMAR. I want one that just matches all. It is like, I I want the picture perfect piece. And I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. And Seth, and I know you guys have um, a lot of, uh, a lot of experience in that. So I'm interested in kind of, you know, same question to you on, on, on the device or technologies you've seen um, be able to work for RPM programs. Yeah, I was saying, Robin, you and I should talk. That's one of the problems we face all the time. Yeah, I mean, basically, like, we try to make it device agnostic and EMR agnostic because no one really cares about my platform. All they care about is, can I get the hardware? Does it work? And do I get the data back into my clinicians when I need it? So, you know, we we designed our platform to be device agnostic, and I also would love to connect with Sid on some of this stuff. But, you know, we want to have the platform that can take data, you know, build our algorithms around when it needs to be intervened on and having people available to intervene on it when you need it um, and also helping clinicians if they want to see the data directly. So right now we use probably like five or six different vendors. Most of the stuff we look at is all cellular connected. So the devices can transmit data directly. So it goes straight into our cloud. The patients don't have to do a Bluetooth sync or Wi-Fi or things like that. That's limited, you know, so we use like scales, blood pressure, cuffs, uh, pulse oximeters, um, we have a thermometer. I know a I'm missing one other one. Um, glucometer, the, glu- the glucometer. Uh, so those are the basic ones. The other thing we've tried to do is interface into like HealthKit and Google Fit. So for those Bluetooth devices that the patients already have, it's just feeding into their phone. We just need to grab it and capture it and plug it into the system and run it through our module. So we try to meet both clinicians and patients where they're at. If they've got hardware, great. If they have no idea what they're doing, we'll drop ship stuff to them so they can get access to it. And we think our mission, you know, as our company is not only having the clinical support, but just being able to deploy things like this without having to invest a bunch of money up front to like buy these things and hope they work and hope patients return them. Um, or also spending, six months or $60,000, like getting integrated to the EMR. There's a handful of things they need to send back, like the vital, the notes, the documentation, those kinds of things. Those should be standard integrations that you can send back into the EMRs. Unfortunately, some 
you know, don't really want you to integrate. So it's very hard to get them integrated. Some make it really easy with great documentation and turn them on. But, you know, we want to be able to just say our platform is our, is for our clinicians. We want to push this back into your existing workflow. So we'll triage it, get it to you when you need it. But we don't think that providers need to be out there logging into some other system to be able to get vitals if they need to. Um, so, yeah, that's that's our view of it. I think, as I said before, you know, as it evolves, if I can throw on my watch and get my blood sugar and my, you know, uh, blood pressure and my temp and my movement and my activity and my sleep levels and all of these things, and I can feed it into a place that I can look at it, that's going to be a much more robust conversation for a clinician to engage with a person than anything we're doing today. And, you know, I'm a pretty firm believer we will get there. And our job is to, like, facilitate those things when they come. You know, we're not a hardware company, but, you know, as they come in, when there's good stuff, make it available to clinicians in a way <clears throat> that's easy to integrate with their workflows and doesn't yeah, cost Yeah, couldn't agree money. more. And then over to you, Rachel. And I know, um, you know, we had a we, we had a conversation, um, kind of unique model on, you know, hey, you can engage some of these patients for RPM, RTM, you know, without, you know, certain devices. So um, I'd love for your uh, perspective there. Yeah, so we primarily through the RTM component, we use software as a medical device. So our mobile application branch health is software as a medical device under enforcement discretion. And so that allows us to render RTM services just using our singular app, which can gather the data from all the third-party sources should we want to, um, or should the patient be connected, whether it's Fitbit, Apple Health, Google Fit. Um, but then, um, and then using whatever data is on the phone. So we use GPS coordinates to determine whether the patient is stagnant or active and build them into a model of like activity. So we're not using where they've been, but rather has this patient been homebound or active, uh, we're able to use a variety of set of validated screening tools when it comes to pain. And all of this allows us a lot of flexibility to get the information that's most important around the patient's pain experience without adding additional mechanisms that the patient needs to learn how to utilize. Uh, we have worked um, with a few select um, HRV companies, heart rate variability, which when it comes to pain is of um, utmost importance for us. Um, and so we've done both deep integrations into our mobile application, as well as standalone integrations um, that have just provided a lot more flexibility. So for the patients who are built into the branch health platform and then want to add something, they can add these devices, whereas other patients, you know, want biofeedback capabilities, it can go standalone. Um, for us, it was like the most important that we built really smooth EHR integrations. So we invested really heavily in building workflows um, for pretty much everyone on the care team. So not just the clinicians, but making sure the um, RNs, the office managers knew exactly how to enroll the patients, where the data was going to be. And it wasn't just where the data is going to be, but because we also offer uh, the nurses who are providing the documentation and the billing support, each one of our nodes is actually filed into an encounter that's in a separate space that has all of the appropriate CPT codes already attached to it. So for us, that that investment was equally as important, especially when we weren't going to have devices and drop shipping that need to be involved. 
But if we're, if we're purely software, then the software had to be as seamless as possible. Uh, we did have, though, our first um, client ever ask for access to our portal. Uh, and our portal is normally just for like our internal reconciliation for our nurses to do all the documentation. And we could give them access, uh, but we're like, are you sure? Everything else is where they wanted it to where they wanted to be. They said, "Yeah, I said, okay, of course. Like you can you can come see it." But um, that's that's how we approach it. And I don't want to I want to give Sid plenty of time as well. Yeah, no, and I think that the, um, the the one of the main takeaways there is shout out to all of the real you know, bosses of uh, the remote patient monitoring programs because I remember when I was in there, it was the office managers, the RNs, and um, everybody else, right? And um, and and, and that rang true no matter the size of the organization, no matter the geography of the organization. So, uh, Sid, you don't have any strong feelings on different devices or wearables. But and, Josh, why and, not? And the RPM we space. can access that. Yeah, I'd exactly. <laughs> They're the consumers and healthcare rate. I think that's amazing, Rachel. I I do. I, yeah, they're doing great work. Kudos for that. Good job. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Rachel, that's awesome. I really like the flow sheets and how you have it chiming in. And it's awesome to hear that patients want to take charge of their own healthcare. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, Josh, thanks for the setup there. I, you know, that's the reason we're in business. I was actually on the dark side before starting this company. I was working in big tech. Um, and I, I learned to code because of Bluetooth back in the day. Uh, and I made all the devices back in the day. Um, but as an iOS developer, you don't have access to all the libraries for Bluetooth. So that's why we created our own operating system. And our goal is to have more devices supported on our operating system than there are on iOS and Android. Um, so for device companies, you get a simple pairing experience. So for an Omron, a Contour, any of these devices you can get on Amazon A&D, uh, for iOS and Android, you have to hold to pair to do that syncing. We got patents over there uh, that allow us to do passive pairing to these devices, meaning that you don't need to uh, press the pair to sync uh, to our ecosystem. You can just use it near near our hub. Uh, to Robin's point about the cost, you can just go on Amazon and, and pick up a Kinsa thermometer for 25 bucks uh, instead of like $130 thermometer for 4Care. You can get like those uh, well-youth uh, pulse oxys and jumper. It doesn't integrate with that well, system. So though. it does with us. And you just have to use a nearby one of our hubs and goes right into the EHR flow sheet records. No other platform goes into your existing workflow. Um, don't think about anything else. Yeah. And then uh, the beauty of our OS is also we're uh, at CES, we showed that we're bringing it to the Amazon Echo network, to Google Nest, to Cisco routers, to Samsung smart bridges. Anything with connectivity can run our operating system. So you don't even need to deploy a hub in the future. Uh, you'll have something in the mesh just automatically connect to it. And so at CES, I was rocking a Dexcom and an Abbott CGM, and they were both just getting picked up by the different routers that we had in the space going right to, to my records. Um, and I didn't have to worry about a hub or deploying or pairing anything. I just existed. And uh, it, it went to the spots that it was supposed to get to. So our goal is really to give device companies an easier interface to transition to this new standard of care. So we have the traditional blood pressure monitors, scales, pulse oximeters, thermometers, wearables, vitals patches. But we also have new devices that are coming to markets like PTI and R. Uh, implantables, yeah, we have an LVAD uh, that we're, we're testing with. Um, we have spirometers, peak flow meters, pill caps, smart pills, uh, infusion pumps, sleep sensors, like the sleep number bed for Rachel's point that does HRV. Um, we have that recently integrated. So our team really prides ourselves with creating these new drivers rapidly 
And, uh, you know, over the pandemic, when supply chains were, were a mess and a muck, uh, our team integrated five new devices for an academic medical center overnight. Uh, they asked at, at 6 p.m. and we had it all integrated in, in the ecosystem at 6 a.m. the next day for them to deploy to patients. So. Can I ask a quick question, Josh, without taking over? Yeah, of course. So how do you discern, this is kind of a follow-up on that same turn, like what is a medical device and what's not, right? So because that sleep number bed, for instance, so that that wouldn't really qualify under RTM and RPM. And so how are you discerning? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Great question. Things? So with all our uh, AMCs and partners, we have a few different standards bodies that we, we go through. So there's uh, validated BP, there's batter CTA, um, and different FDA standard groups that we're part of. Before we roll it out to a patient at the academic medical centers, there's a medical review flow uh, where they can whitelist and blacklist devices. So only once the medical team approves it, does it become eligible uh, for it to go into the EHR. Until then, we still have the passive network collecting this data. So if they decide to roll out the device in the future, uh, they can always just change it in the, in the back end because we're just taking, we're making Bluetooth from a local protocol to a cloud protocol. So we'll collect all the data and we can have it stream into your system later. You know, it's actually funny, the, the Apple Watch uh, with the pulse ox measurements and some of the, the pulse oxes with uh, the, the quality of services, different centers have different standards for it. Um, we don't want to be judge, jury, and executioner. I think that's responsibility that's better left to the FDA and to the clinicians leading the charge here. Uh, we're just trying to simplify connectivity and just take away that barrier uh, for the choice there. Yeah, super, super interesting work. And um, we'll, move, we'll move into our final uh, segment and back to you, Sid. So this is the RPM cutting down the nets. Um, so, you know, firstly, uh, your, your final four prediction and then um, any, any, any final words on, you know, what RPM 2.0 is going to look like or kind of what you guys are doing. Yeah, um, so my, uh, my Duke Blue Devils lost uh, a little sound by that. But uh, uh, I guess we'll, we'll give it to Tennessee and Gonzaga. On, on the bottom half, and then I'll go chalk for the rest with Alabama and Houston. And then for the future of RPM, we want to bring about a connected mesh network where you can just give out devices to patients and trust that you don't need extra infrastructure. Even if patients don't have Wi-Fi, if they don't have smartphones, so they don't have tech letters, they just set it up, they can just use their devices. It'll get to their care team, and their care teams uh, can intervene as necessary. Uh, Seth can use his fancy platforms uh, to, to drive improved care. Rachel's able to, to improve the standard of pain management. Um, we're just trying to create the device pipeline to, to embed and improve these existing systems. Fantastic. And then um, over to you, Rachel, um, your, your, your final four and then any final thoughts? Yeah, I'm, uh, I think I'm Tennessee, Texas, UCLA, and Bama, because why not? Um, and... Uh, <laughs> this is really confident answers. I guess my Penn State got knocked out, and there, there went my underdog story. Um, in terms of just the future of RPM, is you know just that remote care is is care, right? That there is no there is no def there's no defining or um, division there, and that. You know, we've created infrastructure, whether it's, you know, through SID support and um, at the primary care level and beyond that allows um, the dissemination of vital data, the support that the patients need and then the clinicians and support teams need um, that 
you know, meets the patients where they're at. Um, and I think that that's at home, that's in schools, that's wherever it may be um, to elevate the level of care um, at every step of the way. Yeah, well, well said. And over to you, Seth, any, any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, so final for Arizona was terrible. That's my alma mater, so I can't say anything. My daughter's an Aztec, so I have to, and I'm in San Diego, so I've got to go with uh, SDSU, I guess, to to win. I say it's unlikely, but hey. Um, in terms of the future of RPM, I would love to see us evolve more around further automation in the process. Like we're currently experiencing a huge gap of. Um, you know, bandwidth in terms of clinicians, it's only going to get worse. But the way they've structured like reimbursement for all of this is you still have to spend a bunch of time by a person, by a qualified person to be able to do it. And if we could expand that, who is qualified to do this work and then even things around automation with, you know, AI and machine learning and a bunch of things that can triage that, like investment in that should be reimbursable on some level. Like we don't want to get crazy where, no one's doing anything and we're getting paid for it. But at the same time, it shouldn't all just be people doing this. So if we're collecting all this data and we can build smarter models around it, if you can, you know, build a mechanism to reimburse for that, you'll see a lot of innovation there. Same with the RPM and CCM. You know, they started reimbursing for it. You're seeing a lot of innovation. If they broke down further barriers to do things in an automated way, then I think there'd be a lot of cool stuff coming out of that. So I would love to see more reimbursement rules around non time-based reimbursement, you know, kind of like the 99454 codes and the RTM codes where it doesn't require a person, but doing more around that for patient engagement will be will be cool. I think they're stepping their toes in that, but hopefully in the next, you know, two to five years, you'll see some, you know, bigger improvements there as they get more comfortable with things that can be done without a physical person. And as they, you know, realize there's not enough PCPs and nurses and care managers to go around. Yeah, and no, well, well said. And I think that to, to your earlier point of riding the wave, I, I do you know, certainly believe those, you know, primary care physicians and clinics that are, you know, at least riding the wave right now when it, when it turns into more, you know, sustained value-based care, um, they're going to be really well set up as they've uh, had some experience running these type of care management programs. And um, all right, any final thoughts for you, Robin? Do you really want me to do this? I have a lot. Oh, a lot. Josh. I already <laughs> warned you about this. I'm I'm actually super excited, you know, to connect with Rachel and Sid and Seth like tomorrow about this and how I can, you know, provide additional access to care just in Central Illinois, Western and Southern. There's been so many disruptions in healthcare that we've been seeing in Illinois, and it's rather disheartening. Where I'm such an advocate, I'm a fierce advocate when it comes to ad- access to care. I'm all about here. Take it. I'll deal with it later. These nine nine codes annoy me to no end, like to no end, to no end. I I deal with these every day. And I'm even yesterday. I was like, okay, for for the, the MDM, right? Even like my module on my EMR CCM all day long. Does it do complex? No, because it doesn't recognize it. Does it recognize RPM, Candace? No, it does not recognize eligible RPM. So it's provider led, which means I have to be in their face. My team has to be in you know, right here saying, hi, Bill, again, has hypertension. We need to do this. Bill accepts this. Bill wants to do this. Bill wants to be adherent to the program. Oh, I'm supposed, am I supposed to my four? Oh, Lord. So I asked my son, who's going to be 20, 
who the four was. Kansas, he already told me he's a bust. Houston, Kansas State, and Alabama. Josh, I told you I don't do this. I do not do anything sport-related at all. But if you look at the final four and you, you, you compare it into what healthcare is, look at your modules, your RPM, your CCM, your TCM. Even bring in your CPM, right, Rachel? Which is going to be a huge thing for me because I'm going to be able to provide the chronic pain piggyback into my chronic care. We have a lot of chronic pain. We are in an opiate crisis in Illinois between fentanyl and heroin. This is not going away until somebody stands it up. That's the next thing. Having remote patient monitoring, it's, it's, it's this avenue to be in your face to get this patient adherence and buy-in. I need, But it has to be scripted. It has to be sold differently. I need you to do this because guess what? It's going to make me look better. You have to, like somewhere, but whether it's Medicare regs, whether it's Medicaid regs, whether it's commercial regs on the algorithms, which all lead to the ER, but what are you going to do to make us look better? Because again, Josh, to the, this morning podcast with Ashley, it's not looking at promising it's going to stay. I need it to stay. Rachel needs it to stay. Sid needs it to stay. Seth needs it to stay. The vendors need to partner with the providers, go to a blockchain, the transparency, the pay providers, right? Have to talk to the patient. The patient's got to talk. We have to make, we have to execute it and we can, we have, we, have, we have the opportunity to scale this beyond any that has been done in this century. Yeah, well said. And and I think with, with, with innovators like you guys, um, we're, we're well set up. And geographically, I think we're all spread out. Midwest, we got the West Coast covered. I love how you did um, this. In the Philly area and in New York. So Rachel, Sid, Seth, Robin, appreciate you having you guys on and, and sharing your passion on uh, something I'm passionate about there with RPM. And um, I think um, with you guys and some innovators, um, both on the clinical side and the technology side, we're we're uh, we're well on our way. I'm 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 optimistic for it. So thanks everybody thanks, for Josh. joining. Let's do it. Josh, Thank you so much. Curious. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the podcast. Make sure to subscribe and review wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure to share inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room podcast for any digital health or sales leader that might be interested. Looking to grow your professional and personal network? Make sure to sign up now for the Young Health Leaders Summit sponsored by Advancement League and make sure to use the code TEAMJOSH for discounted registration. More details available in the newsletter or in the show notes. Stay tuned for the RPM March Madness podcast where it's a special three-part series bringing together some of the brightest minds in digital health, RPM, and healthcare together for a fun March Madness theme podcast extravaganza. Thanks.